This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hey folks, it's Ben Mathis here with just a quick favor to ask. We love having great advertisers support the show, but in order to continue doing that, we need your help. So please go to podsurvey.com kick and take a quick anonymous survey that'll help us get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how enthusiastic our audience is about kick-ass news and keep the show free for listeners like you. Even if you've taken our podcast listener survey before, the current one is new and different, and it's really important that we have lots of listener feedback, so I'd really appreciate it if you take a minute to fill out this new one. Plus, as a thank you, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash kick, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash kick. Thanks for your help, and thanks for listening. Today's podcast is sponsored by Nadex. Do you want to try day trading the markets but worried about the risk? What if you could choose your maximum risk and reward up front? Well, you can with binary options on Nadex. Trade global stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, all from one account and always with limited risk. See for yourself why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at Nadex.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. And now, enjoy the podcast. Jewish cheerleaders. Oh, give me an A. A. Give me an A. A. Give me an A. A. What's that spell? A. Let's hit it. <laughs> Jewish mime. Boy, is this a small room. <laughs> e. E. I'll walk against the wind. What am I not? So walk with the wind. I'll get there fast. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass News. That was a clip of Billy Crystal and Robin Williams cutting up at the Improv Comedy Club as Robert Klein eggs them on from off stage. It's hard to overstate the impact that the improv has had on the comedy world. Prior to that, no one had ever heard of a comedy club, and the very idea of making an entire evening's entertainment out of a lineup of nothing but comedians was completely unheard of. In the 1950s and early 60s, the mere 200 or so working comedians in America had to hustle for gigs at the Jewish resorts in the Catskills, at mob-owned nightclubs where the comics were warm-up acts or filler in between main attractions, or in dingy strip clubs and faded burlesque halls. But all that changed when the monocled showman Bud Friedman opened the doors of his little cabaret in New York's Hell's Kitchen in 1963. With a small stage, a single microphone, and a brick wall for a backdrop, the improv invented the look and the whole concept of the comedy club, inspiring thousands of imitators over the past 50 years. Along the way, the improv provided a steady stream of talent for The Tonight Show and The Ed Sullivan Show, created the first stand-up special and a popular television comedy showcase, Evening at the Improv, and launched the careers of comedians like Robert Klein, Richard Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield, Robin Williams, Andy Kaufman, Lily Tomlin, Larry David, Richard Lewis, Adam Sandler, and Jay Leno, just to name a very few. There's not a comedian over the past half century who hit it big without having paid his dues and honed his act at the improv. 
Now many of the comedians who performed there and the club's owner, Bud Freeman, reminisce and share stories about the club and their fellow comics in a new book called The Improv, an oral history of the comedy club that revolutionized stand-up. Today, legendary impresario Bud Friedman and his co-author, entertainment writer Trip Wetzel, join me on the podcast to talk about the history of this iconic venue and how so much of it was a happy accident that Bud never planned on. Bud talks about when Rodney Dangerfield bombed his first time on stage at the Improv. He recalls being completely dumbfounded in the very best way by Andy Kaufman's act and Larry David's habit of getting in fights with the audience. Bud and Tripp reveal some of the celebrities who got their start offstage at the Improv, including the famous movie Tough Guy who started out as a bouncer. They recall the year that comedians went on strike. They dish about the down-and-dirty comedy club wars with the comedy store's Mitzi Shore and the rumors that she might have been behind the fire that burned down the Hollywood Improv in 1979. Plus, Bud talks about managing Bette Midler and Jay Leno, what makes him laugh, and why he's probably the only man in L.A. who still wears a monocle. Coming up with Bud Friedman and Trip Wetzel in just a moment. not a comedian in the world who doesn't know the name Bud Friedman, though not a comedian himself. He all but invented stand-up comedy when he opened the Improv in New York City in 1963, launching the careers of many of America's favorite comedians. Together with entertainment writer Trip Wetzel, he's written a new book called The Improv, an oral history of the comedy club that revolutionized stand-up. Bud and Trip, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. I was a little worried because well, everyone knows you had had a stroke two years ago and that you sometimes have trouble speaking and all that. Well, and so, particularly but now, I'm, I'm eating um, a rich cracker. Rich cracker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, I was, I was a little worried. In my mind, I pictured like, you know, Bob Hope in his 90s when he was starting to lose his mind. <laughs> no, but you're sharp as a tack. Sharp as a tack. Yeah. Um, I should point out that this isn't just Bud's memoir, but you also include dozens of interviews with comics and others for whom the improv played a significant role in their careers. Trip, just to give the listeners an idea, who are some of the comedians who got their early starts at the improv, either in New York or here in Hollywood? Well, Jay Leno, um, Jimmy Fallon, um, Richard Lewis, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Judd Apatow, uh, just about everyone who's listed on the cover of this book, I mean, the list goes on and on. There were so many, but these are some of the big marquee names. If I left anyone out, I mean, I probably have left many people out because I, yes, yeah. just about everybody started there. More to the questions, who didn't start there, you know? And I was surprised to read that apparently, Bud, you never intended to go into the comedy business. You wanted to be a Broadway producer. Yes. How, how did opening the improv fit into that plan originally? Well, I was always a vital part of the plan. Yeah. Trip. Yeah, okay, you got yeah. it. Well, he had, it was always a vital part of the plan. I mean, he, you know, he, he it was really a means for him to make an end because mm-hmm. he, Wanted to be a Broadway producer. He had moved back to New York to do so when he turned 30 after being in, working in advertising up in Boston. Um, 
he was a child of the depression, you know, and he didn't, you know, there was, you know, doing something in show business was not really a practical thing. <laughs> he lost his dad when he was very young. Um, you know, his mother they struggled, you know, and uh, so doing, you know, doing something, he wanted to do something practical. But when he turned 30, it was like a now or never time for him to get into to do this, and he didn't want to be an actor because he he, he felt that he didn't want to starve. He just couldn't tolerate that, and he he thought that uh, working on you know doing something in show business, he thought that uh, being a Broadway producer sounded like an interesting <laughs> idea. I don't know even how you thought about becoming a Broadway producer. <laughs> I mean, what what made you think about? Well, I I was thinking of uh, something of the of the uh, theater. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that seemed like a good choice. Yeah. But you didn't know the first thing about it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> and he was, uh, and at the time, his his uh, his girlfriend at the time, who was later his first right. wife, uh, was in the course of How to Succeed in Business without yeah. really trying, which was the hottest uh, show on Broadway. And... Um, they would go out after the shows with a lot of the people in the shows to have, you know, go get something to eat. And uh, the places that were in the theater district, like Sardi's or Downey's or some of the, what were some of the other places? And, That's it. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't afford the food, you know, it was expensive yeah. unless you were Ethel Merman or one of the big <laughs> stars of the day. So, but Bud heard them discuss about, you know, when they were on the road doing, you know, the tryouts in Philly or Chicago or Boston, this little place or this little place where you could go off and, you know, sing and get something cheap to eat. And he thought, well, I'll start something like this in New York. Okay. Um, and that's how it was born. I mean, you know, and then um, and it sort of evolved from there. And so then, it was a cabaret kind of. It was of. a cabaret, It, was, it wasn't yeah. intended then, to be a comedy club. It was just kind right. of where people could... Sing, perform, yes. yeah. was, tell uh, jokes if they want. It was always uh, singers' route, route. Yeah. room, singers' room. room. Yeah, 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 yeah. You had people like Bette Midler and Liza Minnelli perform at the Improv. Did, didn't you kind of on. discover Bette? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, and you were her manager, I think. Yeah, right? first yeah, manager. Yeah. Was there some story where you managed her and then she auditioned for the Tonight Show yes. and ripped her dress? Yes, because <laughs> Bud wouldn't give her his coat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a long, yeah, it's a great, you know, they were they were in the cab going over to 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Um, and they were getting out of the cab and she, her, you got out first or she got out first. I don't remember who. I don't know. Uh, and her dress was just, went, you know, and ripped. <laughs> And they went in to get some safety pins. They couldn't. They couldn't find it. it. Was the it was it wasn't actually the Thirty Rock where they did the auditions. It was a theater near Thirty Rock. I it think it was. Uh, huh. It was uh, in the, the Rockefeller Center. But it wasn't yeah. Thirty. Was it in the no. NBC? So it was a yeah. It was a theater it was, there. It was across the street. It was the um, Johnny Victor. Yeah, Johnny Victor. Little theater. They had all their additions all up. And Bet said that this was when you ceased to be her manager after you you wouldn't give her your coat yeah, to cover yeah, her yeah, ass yeah, yeah. that was yeah. exposed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she, and, you know, so yeah. she told on Johnny's last show. Right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So so you were more concerned with how you were going to look during yes, this audition yeah. than how your client was. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now, how long was it before comedians began to surpass the musical acts at the improv? Well, surpass or become the, the main attraction. Um, about a, not nine years, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Early seventies. Okay. Uh, yeah. But you still used comics until well into the eighties. Singers. You mean yeah, singers? singers. I mean, yeah. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna correct him because uh, <laughs> he's 
Not mentally, it's not. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, we'll put up with Trip. It's okay, yeah. bud. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't just on stage, but off stage. Or the piano players. You had everyone from, I think, Dustin Hoffman to Barry Manilow as your piano player at the Improv. No, right? They, they, the Barry uh, was uh, bought and paid for, but. Uh, Dustin, Dustin was not. Dustin was Dustin, just yeah. came in and played before the oh, okay. yeah. crowd, crowd be. Yeah, because it's hard for us to imagine now, but for most of the improv's life, you didn't actually pay the entertainers, right? They they just came up for free for the exposure, Is right? Is that the way you're supposed to do it? <laughs> well, I wouldn't if, say most if of I was life, a club owner, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, would no, I wouldn't say most of its life because its life is you know fifty okay, plus 50 years, years old. But, but so for the first decade or two, would you say? I, until the early eighties, until okay. the problems with you know the well documented problems with Mitzi Shore at the yeah. comedy store started, and he <laughs> was he you know pay, promised to pay them whatever she would pay them a match, whatever mm-hmm. he should pay yeah. them. Um, but people forget, you know, the reason he didn't do that, he wasn't trying to be you know, stingy or anything like that. He just didn't think about it because it was not the way that the club was started and it was sort of an unwritten rule and he just didn't think about it. And plus he was not really in a position to pay them. I mean, it was because it was a very hand to mouth operation for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like it was the kind of place where just entertainers went after a show to hang out and and sing and entertain for fun for each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who was the first comedian who performed there? Do you remember? Yes, sir. Uh, it was David Astor. David Astor. Uh, he was playing the Blue Angel. And anyway, he came in after the show, and he wanted to get up. And I said, all right. And he killed. Another one of the early ones that apparently was one of your favorites was Robert Klein. Uh, Still is. Yeah, yeah, so many comedians like Seinfeld cite him as an influence. Uh, what was different about Robert Klein? Well, he didn't do Chubda, Chubda, Chubda. Yeah. Uh, you mean like Alan King or like yeah, the Catskills kind yeah. of comics? And yeah. Alan King was good, you know, but he was uh, an, an entirely different bird of a different yeah. feather. Yeah. 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 And another early one was Richard Pryor. Um, yeah. You talk about how he and other comedians like Robert would do these hilarious improvised scenes. Now, I always think of Richard Pryor as a stand-up guy, not necessarily an improv guy who did, like, sketches like that. But he did that sort of thing in the early days. Yeah. He was glorious. Yeah. You were in love with him from the beginning. You always thought he was, you know, something special just from the minute you laid eyes on him. Was he difficult to work with? I know that I've heard stories that he could be pretty kind of an asshole (laughs) sometimes. Uh, He was pretty good, but... uh, he um, accused you of being a racist one time. Yeah. Really? The only time he was with a black lady, he accused me of being a racist. A and then he stormed out yeah. with, a ga- with a gal. And he, he came back about six, eight months later, and uh, he hugged me, kissed me, and all that. <laughs> and the reason he came in that night was to build a, pick up a waitress. He, he, I, I mean, he knew her. Uh, Paula Best, holy yeah. mackerel. I remember that name. She was daughter of Larry Best. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a big Catskill yeah. comedian. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, 
And she was a waitress. She was working. Yes. (laughs) I read that uh, I think it was him or it might have been another black comedian who accused you of being a racist because you wouldn't pay him. No, it was him. And oh, it was him. Yeah. And and what did you say to him? <laughs> I I treat you as I treat all the all, all the comedians. All yeah. comedians. Yeah, you don't pay anybody. I don't uh, <laughs> any of them. No. That was that uh, was my lot. My yeah. wife's yeah. line. Yeah. Now, yeah, Rodney Dangerfield was another one who played at your club a lot. Um, apparently, he bombed the first time that he performed at the Improv. Badly. Yeah, what happened? He was he was drunk, and uh, <laughs> he came in after work in the uh, living room. Living room, yeah. Upper East Side. And um, he, uh, oh, she's bombed. And the next night, he came in sober, and this, he rocked the house. He rocked the house. <laughs> I mean, so he made his comeback. Yeah, and they, and they, yeah. you know, and, th- and this is another just speaks to how the Improv. Anything could happen there. Mm-hmm. The day that he came in drunk, Bud was at the club, and he he was coming in the afternoon, I guess 2 or 3 o'clock, whatever time he used to come into the club, was reading the New York Post. And he happened to turn to the art section and saw this little review about Rodney Dangerfield, who was there and, and you know, and described as a sort of very buttoned-down kind of dick, you know, erudite uh, Dick Cavett kind of type. <laughs> you know, really? Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield? Yeah. Well, yeah, Rodney, that's not what I picked. Yeah. yeah, he thought that's what he thought. Huh. And then <laughs> he came in reeking of booze. His tie was out of place. I mean, he was just—it was pitiful, you know. And, and then, but, you know, and the, but it was amazing, you know. And his legend, you know, his drinking was legendary. There, yeah, there, there are so many. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a time that, that one um, Passover that he passed out at Jerry and Ann's table. That would be Jerry and <laughs> Jerry Stone and Ann Muir's table. So yeah. Four martinis, and you guys just went on with the meal, remember? <laughs> yeah, two other big uh, yeah, hit yeah, acts that yeah. uh, played the club Great a lot. People. Now, Rodney had his own club in New York, but he preferred, when he was working on material, to do it in your club, yeah. not in his own club. No. Yeah, he don't want. He was like, you know, if I'm going to screw something up, I'm not going to do it in my club. No. <laughs> no. And the club still exists, yeah. and it's still... Um, I live, actually, a block away from the 163rd between 1st and New York, in New York, and it's like... It had, they haven't cleaned it up since yeah. since that time. It's like something <laughs> like out of a different area. I mean, the, the waiters still wear the red jackets. Uh, <laughs> there's this guy you made him, Chario or Charo. This waiter that's mm-hmm. been there forever. He's got to be probably in his eighties. But he's yeah. been there forever, and you see him every night smoking a cigarette out on the street. Because <laughs> I I pass by it every night, and it's uh, the sound system is horrible. It's mm. but it's and it's dark, and it hadn't changed a bit. But yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Bud Freeman and Trip Wetzel when we come back in just a minute. I got to tell you, folks, I've been eating extremely well lately thanks to HelloFresh. HelloFresh is the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun, so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices like myself to seasoned home cooks short on time. They source the freshest ingredients delivered right to your doorstep in a recyclable insulated box for free, and they measure everything to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. They even employ two full-time registered dietitians who review each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. HelloFresh is now offering light fall meals, and they've just introduced breakfast options, all for less than $10 a meal. 
I've been making these delicious meals from HelloFresh for several months now, and I'm so excited about it that I even ordered HelloFresh for my parents. They're empty nesters now, and my poor mom doesn't need to cook for an army anymore and deal with a big kitchen mess. So the quick and easy recipes from HelloFresh with their pre-portioned ingredients work perfectly for them. And if you're a family who likes to cook together, it's a great bonding experience, something you can do together with your spouse or your kids. Or even if you're a total amateur in the kitchen like me, you don't have to live on takeout or fast food. You can prepare delicious restaurant-quality meals in no time. This week, we made HelloFresh's buttered-up steak with roasted potatoes and garlicky green beans. The sirloin steak was really good quality, the kind that you would get from a family butcher you really trust. Tender, not too fatty, had great flavor. The green beans and potatoes were fresh and tasty, and it actually took us less than 30 minutes with no hassle and very little cleanup. So give HelloFresh a try, and you're going to be glad that you did. In fact, you can even get $30 off your first week of deliveries by visiting Hello hellofresh.com and entering kick30 when you subscribe that's hellofresh.com and promo code kick30 for $30 off your first week now just to give you a sampling of the kind of meals hellofresh offers some of their upcoming menus include spiced dijon salmon with apple arugula salad and couscous or how about honey glazed pork tenderloin with sweet potatoes and green beans i can't wait for that one and if you want to get in on those great meals too Go to HelloFresh.com and enter our special promo code KICK30 when you subscribe to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. One more time, that's HelloFresh.com and KICK30 at checkout for $30 off your first week. Delicious ingredients you'll love to eat, simple recipes you'll live to cook. HelloFresh. Get cooking. And now, back to the podcast. Before there was a comedy club like the Improv, where would working comedians go to actually get on stage and perform? Was it the Catskills, yes. nightclubs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but performers were always the, open, the second place, opening yeah. act. Yeah, open they were, always, they were, they were, they were yeah. sort of sandwiched in. You know, you had. I mean, you did have in the village. You had you know Greenwich Village, the coffee house scene. Right. You know, places like upstairs at the downstairs. Uh, no, 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 there's a 55th Street. 55th Street. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I correct me. I don't know why I thought. So this, some of this was a little before my time, too, but uh, that was a faux pas. Yeah. But the bitter end. You had stuff mm-hmm. like the bitter, the bitter end, end yeah. uh, places like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and strip clubs, right? Like burlesque stri- well, that, houses. Well, the bedroom was a music club, but right? It wasn't, no, I, it yeah, strip, I mean, but also, but there were stri- lots of strip clubs. Too. Yeah. yeah, lots of strip clubs. So there was no place where you had a, a whole lineup of comedians, no. and where comedians no. were the main attraction. Right. And you know, this. and it was it was the Catskills, of course, were shtick. You know, they, that was, that was a sort of mm-hmm. a different element. And yeah. when but opening, you know, the the timing is riper than ever for that kind of satire because this was this early 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was changing. You had the comedy was changing, you know. So it was a perfect storm. Yeah, because you had the counterculture and, yeah. you know, a certain degree of cynicism and willingness yeah. to take on society and institutions right. that wasn't there probably in the 50s. Yeah, right. Now, one of the comedians that you interviewed in the book, I forget who it was, makes an interesting point that the improv and now comedy clubs in general are places where they go in and they can test out new material, build a set before they go on The Tonight Show or any other late night show. Before the improv, 
was there anywhere where a comedian could go without a lot of pressure and actually work on their act and test out material before they went on The Tonight Show or, or well, Ed that's Sullivan? That's a very good question. Uh, yeah, they were. They, there were places, but they, I mean, were they weren't like. They, they slipped strip clubs for yeah. one. I mean, they, yeah. they could go work, but there weren't a place really that was devoted to it or they fostered it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have to think if they were performing in a nightclub with hundreds of people or whatever, you, you can't just kind of throw out material right. to test on an audience. Right. You have to come in a little bit more prepared, maybe. Right. That's a place where they could work, you know, where yeah. they could build a set before they go on TV right. and that sort of thing. Right. You pretty much invented not just the comedy club as an institution, but the entire aesthetic of the comedy club with the single mic, the stool on stage, the brick wall for a backdrop. Every comedy club in America today basically copies the look of the improv now. Yes. Yeah. I, I get a royalties preach. Yeah, it's oh, a yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. That's become almost iconic. I mean, if you watch Seinfeld, the opening and the closing is basically, you know, the look that you invented well, of the comedy I, I, club. They took a lot of scenes mm-hmm. from the improv uh, at the improv. Tell us a little bit about the first time Andy Kaufman came into the club. He came in and he said, I like to date and he's joined the foreign man. And I said, uh, well, uh, you want to go on? And he said, yeah, did I go on? <laughs> and he goes on as a foreign man. And he goes, I don't know, uh, 25 minutes. Mm. And he says, I'd like to do an impression of the king. Elvis. Elvis Presley. <laughs> Presley. Bud was getting really nervous because the people in the audience were really starting to get worked up. Yeah, because he was Andy just doing these do. bad I mean, impressions, Andy, right? As yeah, a guy and, from Andy Sardinia do, or somewhere, uh, the Caspian Sea. Prior to the cat, and then yeah. you know Archie Bunker. I'm going to do the Archie Bunker now. Meet that. Get out of the chair. You dingbat. You know that kind of thing. You know. Uh, yeah. And he was doing all this stuff, and it was getting worse and worse. And Bud was getting nervous, and you were like, "What the hell am I going to do?" Because he was afraid, you know. Because yeah. you know, in a comedy Natives club, people wrestling. get mad when they get yeah. mad sometimes. And then, <laughs> and then he turned around and. You know, knocked it out of the park again. You know, he was in another thing like, you know, similar to like Rodney, and he was in love with him after that. Am I correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He just Absolutely. did this dead-on Elvis impersonation, yeah. right, for like two or three yeah. numbers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, he, and he continued to be one of the top acts until he died. You know, mm-hmm. Bud was just loved them. Bud brought him out here. Yeah. When you came out to L.A., I guess Johnny Carson moving the Tonight Show from New York to Burbank was a big part of why you opened an L.A. improv and came out here yourself. When that happened, did the comedy universe sort of shift from the East Coast to the West Coast? Well, my mind it had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, truth be told, I wanted to live out here. Oh, yeah? This is some sunshine. My, yeah. Yeah. Well, you wanted to be out here. You know, he'd always wanted mm-hmm. to live out here. Uh, you know, there were no, you know, there were a number of things, but he'd wanted to live out here ever since he was in the mm-hmm. army, and he had come out with some. I think it was it was before you'd heard Howard Keel at the Hollywood Bowl singing uh, Ava Maria to to younger audience. Howard Keel, uh, uh, Annie, get your gun, Broadway actor, Annie, yeah. and get also your gun, did Oklahoma. Yeah. But he, in the eighties, he was Clayton Farlow in Dallas. He mm-hmm. was uh, Miss right, Ellie's right. second husband. Yeah, uh, and Bud heard him, and he you know he'd always had it in the back of his mind to do it. But certainly, you know, Johnny coming out here was because that was a tectonic shift, and mm-hmm. uh, all of the big guys were coming out here. You know, and, and those were the days when 
an appearance on Johnny Carson could make or break your career. You know, a case in point was mm-hmm. Freddie Prince, who got right. Chico in the man and started with Bud after one after one shot. Yeah, those days you could go within a week from being a comic in a club to having your own sitcom, basically. You get seen by the right booker at a club, next day you're on The Tonight Show or Jack Parr or something like that, and then suddenly a network oh, signing only, you to a deal. Only huh? Johnny Carson. Yeah, only, only Johnny, Johnny Carson. Carson. Yeah, that's uh, as a matter of fact, you mentioned Jack, Jack Parr. Oh. Um, Freddie Prince got the uh, uh, Johnny Carson. They're doing Jack Parr. Jack Parr, <laughs> and then he uh, David Brenner took his took tape under, yeah. to uh, Johnny, and uh, yeah. the rest is history. Now you come out to L.A. and immediately find yourself under attack by Misty Shore, the owner of the comedy store. To hear you guys describe it, it almost sounds like a mafia turf war was going on <laughs> between these two comedy clubs in L.A., huh? Well, he, she, she said to the comics, you cannot perform at the— uh, Improv. Improv. If you're going to work for me. Uh, but Jay stood up. For, Joe, you know, Jay said, Leno. Said he's my first manager in yeah. New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people—the other thing people—a lot of people don't remember. I mean, this is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I mean A— the way the comedy store started was it was it was Sammy Shaw and Rudy DeLuca who were New York comics that were acquaintances of Bud. Um, they wanted to open a room for their cronies, basically. They were they never had big acts. I mean, they went they were middling comics. At, I mean, Sammy was Elvis Presley's uh, you know his opening act. He opened for Ann Margaret in Vegas. Uh, he had some sitcom roles in the seventies, but he, he was never a major major act. But they wanted. And they wanted to basically have some place for their cronies to hang out, mm-hmm. and they got, they got a good deal at Ciro's, you know, which was a very iconic Hollywood restaurant. Right. Um, so they came to Bud and said, Bud, you know, we're thinking about opening a place like the Improv. Um, what do you think? And it's fine. And Bud's like, fine. I, and at the time, he had no idea that he was coming out here. Um, and this was 72. Uh, and, that, you know, car, and the store opens in May of 72, or April of 72, and The Tonight Show comes out either in April or May of 72. I may have my exact dates. I mean, within a month or so, they basically came out here. Um, and by the time Bud came out here, Mitzi and Sammy had divorced, and she got club in the, common, in the divorce settlement. Um, <laughs> she was the one who came up with the name. Um, you know, and it was she had a little, a little empire, and, of course, comments were coming out here, and they were already starting to come out here. So... She had sort of been ahead of the curve because Bud had, was not mm-hmm. out here yet, and yeah. then when he got here, that's when the that's when the problem started. And then you know she kept saying, you know, you you can't do this, you can't do that. And uh, Jay was the first one really to stand up to her, even though he was not, you know, he was at the time he was not even a big star yet. You know, really? he was doing uh, he was doing uh, doing minor oh, roles on sitcoms. But, but he was he was, a, he was everybody knows he was a hot comedy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he was doing some roles on Norman Lear sitcoms and things mm-hmm. like One Day at a Time. He had a thing, at, and uh, and this is an interesting point because he had a role on Good Times, uh, yeah. which Jimmy Walker was the star of and got because of Bud, um, and wouldn't perform for Bud even though he could. You know, he could have written his own ticket and was an investor yeah. in Bud's club. <laughs> and Jay had a little role on Good Times where he played a patient in the VD clinic, um, <laughs> and. The point is that you know Jay was loyal to Bud and Jimmy was not, and mm-hmm. he's but he's still the almost un- ungrateful comic. I'm glad guy. you said it. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> he, he stayed at the comedy store. He, yeah, he, yes, he yes. And his thing was, Mitzi. you know, I'm only here. I'm not going to make waves with Mitzi, but he could have, and he did. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Well, at a certain point, an arsonist burned down your L.A. club. And weren't there rumors that Mitzi maybe, you know, might have been behind that or well, someone who you, worked for if her? You, if you watch the uh, television series. I'm dying up here. I'm dying oh, yeah. up here. Yeah. It's uh, it's based on the yeah. comedy store, yeah. I think, right? Even though they yeah. say it's a composite, you know, <laughs> they say it's a composite. They, but they, everybody knows that, it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I interviewed Dave Flabati and those guys. I did a piece on. Uh, I actually got to do an interesting piece for Variety right before the show came out about how it was mirroring, you know, the real life mm-hmm. people. And I got to talk to uh, <laughs> some of the old guys like Rick Overton and Kathy Gladman, who were both at our party the other night. So, you know. <laughs> Now, have there ever been comedians who Bud just, you know, who maybe they were popular with other people, but you just personally didn't get them or get the appeal, get why they were funny? David Brenner. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Dave Brenner. And you just didn't get, he was popular, but you just didn't get why. Uh, yeah. huh? didn't, it wasn't your type of humor. Yeah. Well, he found him to be very arrogant, you know. And, oh, personally. Yeah, very per- yeah. early. And, you know, and the other thing, too, is is he was older than a lot of these other comics. I mean, these, and David already had a career. He was a, mm-hmm. you know, a news producer in Philadelphia. Um, and he'd already, and he was a very, he was kind of always trying to show butt up, I think. And I think that pissed you off, you know. <laughs> Yeah, not at all. No, he was. Just, but it's just, I think something about his attitude sort of always really? rankled you a little bit. I don't know, no, 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 no. Then, yeah. then he came in three nights. I was open, and he said, "Let's buy, buy, gone, be gone, buy gone." And out I here, said, yeah. And I said, "Hey, thank you." Yeah. And he <laughs> said, I'll, "I'll go on for you tonight." And Freddie well, was about to go on. Okay, I'll shut up. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, Freddie's going on. He, he already he's already here. He is. <laughs> and then there's three lies um, that were um, uh, 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 were there. Well, what happened basically? Wait a minute. Okay, all right. <laughs> wait a minute. This is a good story. All right, okay, I'll shut up." <laughs> Trip warned me you two are like an old married yeah. couple before we even got there. Uh, uh, it's um, it's um, any anybody anybody. I don't know. I I wasn't there. You I were. know. Uh, <laughs> I don't dare speak. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna think about it. Uh, I'm gonna think about it. Uh, I'm not gonna give you a hint. Looking up. Uh, <laughs> look it up in. All right. And, and, yeah, he okay. Anyway. All right. The point is, he came yeah. in. I think if, if I, yeah, he came in, you know, and wanted to go wanted Bud to immediately put him on. And yeah. Bud didn't because he had these other people there, and it yeah. started the whole thing over again. Yeah. Although they were cordial a couple of times when yeah. you saw each other in New York, once at a Friars Club event and at the Plaza. You know. You, yeah. You know, but yeah. Yeah. Another one I heard was kind of like that was Larry David. I've always heard these stories that he would walk on and walk off, or he would get in these fights with the audience if he got heckled. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did you you guys ever see that? Oh, yeah. He says, what's the. the... Yeah, Alan's White Bell tells the story, you know, Saturday, the great, fantastic comedy writer, Alan's White Bell, uh, about how, you know, he knew he was following Larry at, say, 1030. He'd get to the improv by nine forty-five because it was a good chance that 
you know, Larry would storm off stage, uh, you know. Yeah, 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 that's what I heard. He would yeah. get in these arguments with the yeah. audience and yeah. stuff. And, you know, actually yeah. the first time he came to the improv, he had never done stand-up in his life, and yeah. he asked what if he could just do it, and he said, you know, no. Are you a stand-up <laughs> comic? No. Get out yeah. of here. <laughs> now, um, Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah, yeah. Lenny, Lenny and Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, I assume that you guys, both of you still go to comedy clubs and are up on the scene. Um, I wonder who maybe for each of you is the funniest comedian that you've seen over the past year who may not be a national name yet, someone who's uh, about to pop. Yeah, I don't go out that much. Really? I don't go out that many to the improv or anybody. Oh, okay. Uh. Okay. Uh, well, there are a lot of good people. I mean, I like guys like Pete Corielli. Uh, okay. You know, um, there's a very, very, very funny comedian in New York, African American comedian named Godfrey, who is okay. uh, not Gilbert Godfrey. No, his name is <laughs> Godfrey, guy. but he can do okay. incredible. Have you ever heard of him before? Yes, he Godfrey. does incredible impressions. Huh. Uh, really? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, there's a guy named um, Jewish comic named Modi Rosenfeld, who's amazing. Okay. Um, Jeffrey Ross is very good. Oh, I, we saw, I saw yeah, him at the Improv the other night. He's, he's yeah. great. You know, yeah. a lot of Lenny Marcus, okay. uh, Sebastian okay. Malakowska, new you know, names. a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to look out for those. Yeah. yeah. A lot of these are not brand new to the scene, but they're just. Right. Know, but they, they may not have had a Netflix special yet yeah. or something like Many, that. Many, well, they've been around. I mean, Jessica yeah. Kirsten, you know, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, before we go, Bud ha has played himself in a number of movies over the years, including Man in the Moon and Funny People. I just have to ask, uh, have you ever lost the part of Bud Friedman to another actor? No, but I've <laughs> been threatened with it. You've been threatened, <laughs> they threatened to recast yeah. you? <laughs> Well, again, the book is called The Improv, an oral history of the comedy club that revolutionized stand-up. Bud Friedman and Trip Wetzel, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's Thank been our you. pleasure. It's, uh, yes. <laughs> Today's episode was sponsored by Nadex. Want to try day trading markets but worried about the risk? What if you could choose your maximum risk and reward up front? Well, you can with binary options on Nadex. Trade global stock indexes, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, all from one account and always with limited risk. See why over 100,000 members choose Nadex. Find out more at Nadex.com. Trading on Nadex involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Thanks again to Bud and Trip for joining me on the podcast. Order their book, The Improv, an oral history of the comedy club that revolutionized stand-up on Amazon. And if you want to go to The Improv and have some laughs, they have 20 locations across the U.S., including their flagship club on Melrose Avenue in Hollywood. For showtimes, tickets, and more, visit improv.com. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. Don't forget to take our listener survey. It only takes five minutes at podsurvey.com slash kick. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com slash kickassnews or click on the donate button at kickassnews.com. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News.
Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.